Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. We're in Proverbs chapter 18. If you'd like to turn there and follow along with us, we are teaching through the book of Proverbs. And uh, it uh, is a labor of, of love for me. Um, most of you are probably aware of the fact that I'm at least willing to, to give a Bible away. And, and generally speaking, um, if my family buys me a Bible, I will preach out of it for, I don't know, six months to two years. And then I set it aside for one of their children. And uh, so my one grandson said to me the other day, he says, Papa, I want to do what you do. I said, well, what do you think I do? And, and so we had that discussion. And uh, this, this Bible uh, is, is for him. And I'm going to give it to him this Christmas. Uh, and it's just interesting that, that I didn't think about teaching Proverbs, which was largely written for young people, uh, so that for his benefit. But now I realize that I'm going to be done with this and hand it to him at Christmas time with all of Proverbs studied out. And, and I'm an underliner. And, and, and I use a ruler. Okay, if you're underlining in your Bible without a ruler, I'm, I'm pretty sure the gates of heaven are closed to you. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, no, they're really not. The gates of heaven are not closed uh, for anybody that would take me seriously. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. We just bless you, Lord God. We, we find in your word hidden for us so many awesome, awesome truths, Father, that we never considered uh, in a way that applies to us in, in our work and in our life and, and how, we, how we just do Christianity every day. So we thank you for these truths and these one-liners, Father, that become so, so easy for us to remember. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 18, again, um, we're in that, that part of Proverbs that um, is normally ascribed to Solomon completely as a writer, probably was his gathering of thoughts and ideas um, for the training of his own children to to be uh, princes and kings. Uh, Whether or not that happened doesn't really make any difference. It's just what probably he was doing. It's also written in a form that is different from the rest of it, a form called couplets, which uses essentially two thought processes, either to compare or contrast. And, and uh, that's, that's where we are up through about chapter 21 or 22, I don't remember. Um, but anyway, just so that you remember, if you take the middle of Proverbs, you can look at it and it'll almost always be a collection of one-liner comparisons or contrasts. And so one verse can, can really be something that, that changes uh, how you see things. So here we are in Proverbs 18. We, we ended last week with the first verse just to try and entice you to continue to read with us. But it, it says in verse number one, a man who isolates himself. And we talked last week about the idea behind isolation. Oftentimes what God calls us to do is to separate ourselves. Jesus separated himself regularly, but it wasn't the same principle as isolation. What the enemy wants to do is to get you off by yourself and to convince you or help you make the decision that what you're going through is just peculiar to you, almost as if God is picking on you. 
right? Where, where God does all these terrible things and you're the focal point of his, his terrible wrath and anger. And, and now obviously, um, depending upon your theology, God doesn't really do terrible things. We live in a world that has been governed by sinful choices and sin has its consequences. And so when people say, oh, well, God, you know, did this or God did that, it, it, please don't talk that way um, because it, it only displays your lack of, of a kind of a cognizant understanding of who God is. Um, uh, God is a, a, a God of goodness and not a God of confusion. And so you can't say that on the one hand, God is killing people because of where they live or what they do, but leaving you alive because of where you live and what you do. So you, know, you, you need to kind of understand that, that God probably isn't going to wipe Las Vegas if that's sin city for you. Or, or I, you know, I've been, I've been in Christianity a long time and, and Louisiana has been a target, you know, down in New Orleans where there's all kinds of witchcraft and different things like that. And of course, when they have a big flood down there, why well, that's obviously God. Forget the fact that they built most of their city under sea level and duh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sorry. If you're, if you're nine or 10 feet under sea level and, and the wind blows just right, the sea level comes across that bank of water and into your swimming pool. And that's just the way it is. So you say, well, but that's God. It's not God. God isn't visiting homosexuals with AIDS. Okay, sorry. Sinful behavior produces consequences, their life and your life consequences are mitigated by grace and mercy. But if you don't apply yourself to grace and mercy, the consequences will have a full effect on you. And sometimes God is so smart that you go through those consequences so you never go, those, go there again. And I know you're saying, well, how do we know which one it is? You don't. You don't. In fact, after the fact, after you, you know, cast the devil out of your life because he's doing all these things. And six months later, you realize, wait a minute, God was teaching me something here. That wasn't the devil. Now, I, I cast the devil. Finances is my thing as far as understanding these things. And, and uh, I thought God was picking on me a lot because I believed what the word said. And I thought God wanted to help me with my money. What I realized was that God did want to help me with my money as soon as he broke the dependence I had on it. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> are you listening? Your job is not your source. Right? Or in this case, after many of you who have an agri-related business and we had a little frozen rain yesterday up and above north and, and, and east of here. And, and many of the people in this church uh, suffered a loss. And it's not God picking on them. And it's not time to throw a pity party. It's time to recognize that in the midst of this consequence of, of I don't know how much of this you want. When, the reason the earth likely didn't have weather, weather patterns is when it was created, it likely had an axis, an axis, A-X-I-S, that was straight up and down. After sin, we had a crooked orbit and a tilted axis. Did you know that? 
the elliptical thing, so sometime right about now in the heat of, of the year, but because of the angle of the sun, we're actually the furthest away from the sun as we can be. But because of the turn of the axis, we actually get more direct sunlight, which means that it's hotter in Hades sometimes. Right? And so <laughs> when sin entered the world, right, and, and God said, you know what, I'm kind of disappointed in what I made, and so I'm going to do this, so, you know, build the boat, Noah, and, and we're going to fix this. And it never rained before. And, and somehow, in the grand scheme of things, why we got a crooked orbit and a, and a, a, a tilting axis. Sin has a consequence. The Garden of Eden was never meant to be this way. It was perfect. 12 hours of light, 12 hours of darkness, perfect temperature. Okay? Water came up from the ground, didn't come down from on top, you know, all that kind of stuff. You say, how do you know that? Because when, when the Bible says, when Noah got the, the boat ready and it started to rain, it's never rained on the earth before. I mean, that had to have been interesting. So, so again, what... what what God does will separate you unto his truth. What the devil will do will isolate you in your difficulty. He'll get you away from and tell you that your circumstances and so forth are not common. And the Bible clearly says that this is common to men. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 about verse 13 says that there's a way of escape. It's common to men. We face these things. The devil goes fishing in the world with bait that attracts humans. Whatever your temptation level is, and wherever it is, the devil uses those kinds of things to fish for your attention. Amen. <laughs> so in verse number one, it says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. You know, so you move off and keep yourself all separate because, oh, woe is you. You've had all these bad things that, that, that went on. And he says, he, the person who isolates himself, rages against all wise judgment. It's oftentimes interesting that people who struggle, myself included, get angry at God's solution to our problem. I talked with some people recently, <coughs> not that are related here. I do a lot of work outside of, of here with leaders and, and different things. And, and you know, you, you understand that if your money doesn't go as far as your month, Sometimes it's how you handle your money in the month rather than God not giving you enough. And, and you know, I, I, it always astounds me that, that somebody has, you know, $1,000 worth of payments and, and $2,000 worth of house expenses on their $3,500 income a month. And you can say, well, that's not enough income. Well, it is if you spend your money that way, it's not that much income. And I'll be your Dave Ramsey guy. Stop isolating yourself and telling God that he needs to give you more money and start separating yourself to the word of God and sell something. Get yourself living within the means that God established. Because if you don't handle the 3,500 right, what makes you think God's going to trust you with 7,000? I told somebody the other day when, when uh, I don't remember who it was, uh, it was one of my grandkids said to me that some basketball player got a new contract and he essentially makes a million dollars a week. I can live on that. Right? I mean, I got, I got no problem living on that. Million dollars, monthly, 
$6,000, I can live off the interest of that, right? $6,000 a week, I can make that work. You understand that at some point when, you're, when, when, when you isolate yourself and say, well, the problem is here. I actually had a missionary tell me one time, if people would just listen to the Spirit of God, we wouldn't have so much of a struggle. And I said, well, um, here's the thing that I learned during the prosperity conversation when everybody said, if you'll send me $100, I'll believe for a hundredfold return for you. And I went, well, okay, but why don't you send me the hundred dollars and I'll believe for you. Because you're the one that needs a thousand bucks or whatever you need. Does that make sense? See, when, when all you can see is through your own filter, you're raging against wise judgment. And I'm not here to condemn or convict anyone. I'm just merely saying Proverbs speaks to this. Notice what else it says. <coughs> Verse 2. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing its own heart, uh, his own heart. I find it interesting that people believe that God thinks like them. Well, God thinks like this. It's possible that he does. Okay. You're made in his image. So it's entirely possible for you to have the mind of Christ think and operate through that. <coughs> Excuse me. It's entirely possible. It's also equally possible that your own desires are so strong that you neglect thinking about God in a way that you should. Look at the next verse. Let's skip down verse 6. It says, a fool's lips enter into contention. <clears throat> if, 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 if I could give you one thing to leave here today with, it would be this. Please try and refuse to enter into the contention. Try to refuse to enter into contention. When somebody wants to argue, you know, I used to say it this way, don't stop me from doing what you think can't be done. Don't enter into contention. Thank you. Don't stop running your race when somebody from the sideline, thank you very much, when somebody from the sideline hollers at you and tells you you're running wrong. Okay? You might be running wrong. And here's what I know about that. If you're running wrong, you're still in the hands of God. He can, he can fix that for you. He almost had to open my water. It wasn't working right. So thank you, Jeremy. So you understand, a fool's lips enter into, con in, into contention. <laughs> you want to be careful about engaging yourself in the argument. Look what else it says. And his mouth calls for blows. Specifically, you enter into contention and then expect for there to be judgment upon the other person who doesn't agree with you. Do you see it? We do it in the world a lot where we argue and then believe that, well, God will just show them. <laughs> Let me point something out to you. Jesus took the world's judgment. Christians accept the fact that Jesus took the judgment. True Christians receive the fact that there is no judgment for me. The Bible says in, in Titus, we are not subject to the wrath. And I know that a great number of people are waiting for God to come back and, you know, kind of kick Fanny and take names. <clears throat> but that's this verse. 
right, who are calling for blow. We just can't wait till they get theirs. That is not a God attitude. See, what you want, rather than the grace and mercy that might change that person, is you want to give up on that person and say, the heck with grace and mercy, bring on the judgment. That's not God. You, you can, I mean, you want to argue with me, you'll find out how little of that contention I'll enter into. Well, don't you believe that God's going to judge these people? No. Want to know why? Does anybody care? Why I don't think God's going to judge them people? They judge themselves. By not accepting Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, when this all goes down, Jesus splits the eastern sky, Christians are raptured out of here, and people start appearing before these judgment seats and all that kind of stuff. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, the logic and, and judgment of God that is so clear, you will willingly go to hell. No more argument. He's a perfectly just judge. Here was your solution. Here's what you ignored. See ya. You're the one, not you, present company excluded. You're the one establishing your own judgment future by not accepting Jesus Christ, who took all of the sin, all of God's judgment, all the necessary punishment for sin in the world on himself. Yes and amen. People are going, well, I've never heard that before. It's because the church benefits if we can keep you condemned and weak. If you need us, you keep coming back. <laughs> and what we're trying to teach you is come and get it and take it out there. Come back next week for another load. Right? Don't come here and let me preach to you and say, well, you know, you're all going dirty, rotten sinners going to hell in a handbasket here. And you just need to get your life right, which, by the way, you can never do by yourself unless you accept the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which means you don't need me to tell you that. <laughs> come on. And what people, what, what, do we, what do we like? We want there to be this picture of perfect justice that fixes the people and situations that we've got a, a name and a face for or a problem with. See, we think that if God would just strike somebody with lightning just one time, that would be great. And yet, Acts chapter 5, I think it is, two people who, who agreed to sell a, p a piece of property and give it to God, and the husband came in and, and the Holy Spirit had told them that, that he had lied. You know, now, you do not have to give the price of your property to, to the church. But if you say you did, you should hold up your end of the deal. <laughs> and so anyway, he said, oh, yes, we gave it all. And he fell down dead. Okay, let's use that as a doctrine for just a second. And let's move forward and see if we can see that that ever happened again. <laughs> I don't think so. What's the point? <coughs> Excuse me. The point that we're seeing here is a principle, not a practical expression. God isn't striking people dead. When the church began, and we can argue about when that happened, okay, but when the church began, it changed how God dealt with people. God dealt with people through the law. You could never keep it all. 
And so the law tutored us to expect a grace and mercy Savior. When He came, when we receive Him, we receive what He did. It's that way. So when this one says, a fool's lips interconnection and, and a mouth calls for blows, a fool's mouth is his destruction and his lips are the snare of his soul. Do you see that by not understanding something, you're going to create a difficulty for your soul? Here's the deal. When you're born again, your spirit is completely remade. Completely new, missing nothing, completely complete, all over, all done, everybody wins. Your soul, the Bible talks about. It says in James, receive the word with meekness whereby you may save your soul. Do you save your spiritual life by works? Of course not. But how many of you have had a, ever had an internal argument with your will, your intellect, or your emotion those parts that your soul has. How many of you have ever said in your soul, I just don't understand how God does this? Your spirit is not, our God is not a God of confusion. Your spirit man is never confused, but regularly overruled. That make sense? Your spirit man left to itself will think and act and react like God does. Your soul, on the other hand, is the guy who thinks at times that he's got a good plan and God should bless it. See, that's your will, your intellect. There are times where I'm absolutely convinced that I'm smarter than God. Before you think that's a terrible thing to do, <laughs> okay, then you quit telling God what to do. Because that's your idea. Well, God, it would be better if you just do this. Come on, parents, how many of you ever had that conversation about your own children? Well, God, it'd just be better. And yet, someday, the wiring that God did on purpose in them is going to shine through. And based on personal experience, sometimes age happens automatically and maturity becomes optional. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time. Right? To get to the maturity picture with our children and, oh, by the way, with us. Right? Look at verse number 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. We shouldn't need to be taught this. But what he's saying there and the use of that word for name there literally means the expression of his personhood. It would have made sense to them because in the Old Testament, you were somebody bar somebody, right? And so you were, you were Glenn, and okay, here's me, I'm Glenn, son of Glenn. That's how I was known. It was a representative of who the person was. And in those days, you did what your daddy did. Jesus was a carpenter, Joseph was a carpenter. He learned that in his home. There wasn't some <clears throat> trade school to go to. In fact, oftentimes the only schools that were available were religious and political schools. And that was only available to certain people. And it certainly wasn't available to women. Okay. Now, do you think that's how we should do things? No, I don't. But that's how they did it then. Why? Because God hadn't yet released the revelation of spiritual equality and spiritual design. You gals ought to love this. 
Quit, men, quit saying to your wife, you just need to submit. It's joint submission, first of all. And the guy with the responsibility on his head is the man you're married to. Is the man you're married to. He has the ultimate responsibility before God to establish how things work. <clears throat> when he doesn't do it right, a la Sarah and Abram, Sarah and Abram, you know, Abram said to Sarai, tell him you're my sister. Okay, first of all, that's just sick and wrong. But you understand that she agreed with that in principle. And he had a conversation with God after the fact. Okay, so let's just recognize how this stuff works. The name of the Lord, the representation of his personhood and his character is a strong tower. We don't have those today. None of you likely build a, built a three or four story stone encampment <laughs> with windows looking every which direction so that you could see when somebody's coming to plunder your neighborhood. Did you, does anybody have a tower at their house where they could overlook all their neighbors and, and look outside the gates of the city and, and see when somebody's coming to steal your stuff? Okay. See, we don't think this way anymore, and we don't do that this way anymore, because Jesus became our defender and our advocate. So they, if you'll see this right, <laughs> essentially, no one, no entity can steal from you because Jesus is your strong tower. He's been lifted up in your life looking every direction to make sure as you stay in the name, the person, and the character of Jesus, as you stay in that, he protects you. And you say, well, that's not working. It's because you keep leaving the tower. You trust it. Listen, if you have enough money, you can trust your own tower. Yeah. <clears throat> I have some conversation at times with, with people who have more money than I do. And not that it's a comparison, but they want to serve God with their money. And I have to tell them, you have to quit tr trusting it. I don't care how much money you can make. If you trust it, it'll never be enough. See, money in and of itself as an object of your love is evil. Christianity in, an, in a magnetic energy form attracts the blessing of God. The world, worldliness, rejects it. It's like the wrong ends of the battery. It just keep, you can't put them together. It just keeps rejecting that. If you stay in the strong tower, it will draw the prosperity of God towards you. If you work in your own strength, it'll actually reject it. It'll actually push it away. It'll never connect. Just like trying to push the wrong poles of a battery together. It won't connect right. Why does he say, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Look what else he says. The righteous run to it and are safe. It's the, it's the Hebrew word for kind of like salvation, like saved. They're safe. They're protected. <clears throat> Do you get it? You see how simple it could be in our life to trust the wrong things and thereby attempt to build our own tower. And by the way, when you have a level of confidence in what you've done, you oftentimes share it with people as if it will fix their problems. 
Amen? How many of you, <laughs> I always love to come in on a conversation where somebody is telling someone else how to invest their money. Can I tell you how to invest your money? Just, I'll just help you for just a second. Put it in the strong tower that is the name of Jesus. When he speaks to you, do that. When he doesn't, stop worrying. You say, how do you know that works? Because I've already tried it my way. Haven't you? And then you've cried out to God when it didn't work? I mean, this is kind of simple stuff. Trust the strong tower of the Lord. Verse number 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is a folly and a shame to him. There's a huge difference between a know-it-all and a learn-it-all. Look what this says again. Do you see it? He who answers a matter before he hears it. Some people have all the answers. And here's how you know if you're one of those people. When somebody else is talking and, you know, 12 words into their sentence, you're going, because you already got their answer. You're ready to talk. Give them their stuff. Here's what you need to do. Here's the way to... That, that's one of those teetering things where you're teetering on this, this thing. You answer a matter before he hears it. Let me point something out to you. The person who you're thinking about right now, who you think you could help, is operating their life based on their understanding of their normal. Their understanding of their normal. Come on, how many of you have ever had a night in your house, in, in Juanita, when, or in Imperial when we were there, <coughs> Sunday nights was popcorn night. Somehow all the women got together and decided we don't cook on Sunday night. Everybody who goes to our church, nobody cooks on Sunday night. We eat popcorn. Yeah, sure. We'll go. Yeah, that's good. Right. Okay. How many of you know that's not a God thing? It's just a us thing. It's just a normal thing. Right? And so what happens is whenever you're dealing with anybody, you're likely dealing with them in their normal. Have you ever seen anybody who is more emotional relating to things than you are? And you think, how come do they do that? Because it's normal. It's their normal. Look what it says again. He who answers a matter before he hears it. If you come from a family <clears throat> who at times has been that group of people, that family, where if you hear enough of the information, you've got it. Stop talking. Let me help you. Okay. Or you're that person who looks into somebody else's life and then essentially calls them up and says, well, let me just help you with this. You need to, you don't know what their normal is. The issue here is renewing of your mind based on biblical principles, not renewing your mind based on my principles. Amen. Notice it says, it is a folly and shame to him. It always kind of wrinkles me when I hear somebody say, shame on you. Shame is when what you've done becomes who you are. Shame is a terrible, terrible thing. And we should remove it from our vocabulary and from our expressions. We don't want shame. We don't, if your child makes a mistake, and shame on you. Now, I'm not trying to be the, the, you know, the talking police. You know, here's your ticket. 
Uh, I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that shame takes what we've done and turns it into who we are. We don't want that. You know, it's shame is the foundation of 12 step programs. Hello, my name is Glenn. I'm an alcoholic. I, and I'm not, and I have never been. But how many of you know what I did is not who I am? Right? What I was, not who I am. That's this verse, okay? Look at, in verse 14, the spear of the man will sustain him in sickness. This is, this is a hard one to process. Look at it closely. The spirit of a man will sustain him. Anybody know what sustain means? Miss Lonnie, when, when, your pian- when the piano wasn't working right, what wasn't working right? The sustain pedal. What does it do again? Holds it level. Holds it. So if she plays whatever note she's playing and presses down on that deal until she lets up from that thing, the sound just keeps on going. In a regular stringed piano that holds up the little, the little muffler bars, whatever they call those things, when you, when you hit a note, it, <coughs> it actually whacks that, that, that cable, right? And when you let go of the note, it lets this little padded thing come down and, and stop the vibration of the, of the, well, we have a digital piano, so it all does that electronically. So as long as she holds down the deal, she'll get a constant, always in tune note that'll stay there till electricity turns off. What'd he just say? The spirit of the man sustains him in sickness. It doesn't say that you don't get sick necessarily. It says that the spirit of the man designed you to cooperate with God, that you are an even keel holding on to the truth that God's already always given you. But what do we do? I mean, some people, <laughs> the minute that you hear, it, I just became a member of Medicare not too long ago. I'm still struggling a little bit because somebody from the Center for Medicare Services, CMS, sends me an email every time somebody gets the flu. And they tell me it's flu season and I should run to the doctor and get a flu shot. Well, first of all, no thank you. Second of all, quit emailing me. And now, did you know that I've never had a COVID shot? If you had one, I don't care. (laughs) I didn't have one. I ain't having one. And I ain't getting a booster. Because if what you took to fix the problem needs to consistently be fixed of itself, this circling firing squad doesn't work for me. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? Now, don't don't look at somebody else. Look at yourself. When your spirit is broken, you will not trust what the spirit has been made to be. See, when your spirit man goes, hey, I got that. It's God talking to you. It's not him telling you to trust yourself. It's God talking to you. And he says, I got this. And you say, no, you don't. I better go. I'm not opposed to doctors. They just need to be number two, not number one. The spirit of man will sustain him in sickness. 
Are we tracking together? <clears throat> now you say, why are you making such a big deal out of this? Because it's one verse. How hard is it to remember? Leave here today with this verse. It'll help you. Look at the next part of it. Verse uh, 16. I love this one. A man's gift makes room for him. Isn't that interesting? You say, wait, what do you mean? I have a book, Tracy and I have a book we've listened to that was how Marilyn Hickey got started. Talking about, she's been to 190 countries and what she did overseas is way bigger than what they did here. And so she's talking about that and, and she was coming to the place where she said, how do you take when the prime minister of, of the nation says, yes, you can come here. How, how do you take a gift to somebody who's been given Rolexes and cars and all kinds of things? And you, I mean, I, I, use, <laughs> I use the idea of a Rolex because I know what they cost. How do you take a ten dollars or $12,000 watch, entry-level Rolex watch, and give it away? And so she was struggling because a, a gift, this is a physical gift now, makes room for you. She had the most interesting take on this verse. Several weeks ago when Tracy and I were driving, we were listening to this book, and I thought, how awesome is that? And she was the prime minister of some country, and she was struggling because, you know, they first of all couldn't afford to take a gift kind of contemporary to the person's position. And she said, so God, she said, I heard God speak to me. And when I met with that prime minister, she said, I don't really have a gift that's, that's uh, uh, appropriate for this. I don't really know how this is done, but if you'll give me the names of your family members, I will pray for them every day. It was a Muslim nation She's been back to that nation seven or eight times. And Tracy could correct me if she remembers the, the number of times. Seven or eight times she's been back. First of all, Muslim nations and a woman preacher and the Bible. No, no, that doesn't work anywhere. But because of the gift that she gave, it made room for her. That's the physical side of that scripture. What about the spiritual side of that? How many ever found yourself in a circumstance with somebody and what God has done in your life is what they need? Your gift just made room for you. Now, <laughs> nobody wants gift in projectile vomit form. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, here's everything I know. Don't do that. Trust the Spirit of God inside you to give what God's put in you in an appropriate dose based on what God has for them. I've got several messages that I believe God spoke to me, and I have begged God to let me. They are so cool. Well, they're cool to me. You probably would sit there and, and be as unimpressed as you are some other days. But, but uh, I, I just want to do it. I talk to my friend Terry, and we deal with pastors, and, and I... I I, I want to teach finances to pastors so bad. 40 years of ministry, zero opportunities. Because it's, it's like a fire hose in me. It's like projectile vomit. Wah! And everybody going, slow down. We don't even know what to do with the first part. And I just, so, a man's gift and brings him 
before great men. Brings him before great men. I have a relationship with an individual that I've met once face to face. And because of what he said we have and our church has, it's put me in front of other people. How many of you know that our kids give Bible bucks in the offering? And our elders decided that it would be a good deal to turn that into real money. And so every time that we send that money, I send an explanation of how it happened. This is three years old to sixth grade. And they're tithing. And I tell them the whole story. You know that your kids, <clears throat> when they're little, can go to the Bible Bucks store and buy candy bars for a dollar or for five dollars of fake money. And we have little Walmart bags back there. And I see some of your children coming up and they've got a sack full of candy. It gives you an opportunity to teach finances to your kids. Teach them how to tithe. Teach them how this works. And so now I'm explaining that to one of the biggest ministries on the planet. So that they can potentially tell other pastors, hey, we have this little church and here's what they do. It's taken what God has done here and putting it in front of men. Make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Last scripture, verse number 21. There's, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Isn't that interesting? Death and life. You say, wait a minute. We, let, me, let me help you. Please stop thinking about Proverbs and Proverbs focus being someone else. Proverbs focus is you. Okay? No one in here is the vocabulary police. Please stop giving people vocabulary tickets. You shouldn't talk that way. Can I just point out to you that if you talk negatively and that produces negative stuff, couldn't you on the opposite, since God's not a respecter, couldn't you talk really positive and create that as well? The issue here is not exactly what comes out of your mouth, but your belief system that says you can create evil, but you can't create good. That's not right. You say, well, but what, what should we do? We should recognize God's training in us to speak with an understanding way because in our tongues are life and death. And you can speak to somebody poorly and affect their world. If you speak to a kindergartner who just got done writing his name in permanent marker on the wall of the school, you say, well... You should have never, you never amount to anything. You know, kids five years old. I got a picture from one of my sons and daughter-in-laws, my Texas kids, and they have an extraordinarily bright child. I mean, just, he just, he just a thinker. And so on the back of his door, he wrote his name in permanent marker. And I get a picture of him with one of those magic eraser things trying to clean it off the back. Now, <laughs> you and I would know that if you're going to deface something, don't use your name to do it. Okay. Do you understand that in the midst of that, death and life was just in your tongue? Because you told them how to get away with evil. 
Something as simple as that. When I saw it in the picture, I recognized it as mirror writing. I read a book on some of the, some of the IQ geniuses in the world. And I can't remember the name of it. Interesting things they came up against. People like Edison, who had a fire in New Jersey at his deal. And, and he told his son, he says, go get your mom. She's never going to see a fire like this in the rest of her life. Lost everything. Is that a different way to, 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 it's reported that the Wright brothers' father said to them in their bicycle shop, if God would have intended you to fly, he'd have given you wings. How many of you know they overcame that and thought that it would be a good idea to strap a motor on top of wings and get in it? You understand what I'm saying? Einstein had the ability to write so that when you held a mirror up to it, it looked the right direction. Some of the great mathematical things that we have today from Newton to, to, to Einstein, they were created by thinking that's so far outside the box because the solution to the problem is not where everyone else is looking. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Make sense? I am not skipping on purpose, verse 22, who finds wife finds a good thing. I had a lot of things to say about that today, but we need to move on. So we'll, we'll pick up verse 19, or chapter 19. I may start on, on, on that verse in, in, in chapter 18 next week. Amen? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for teaching us these precious truths from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.